Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. We did about five, six, seven shows before we're about to do this one. The official Wesson Walker from 12 to 3 right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Over in the fishbowl, we were talking about all sorts of stuff. And then before... I came on with Jeff for Charlotte Sports Today, and then as you guys were coming in, you continued the argument about superheroes, Batman, how prolific he is, the first Batman ever, how Adam West performed as Batman. So you can feel free to text us via the Garage Door Guru text line, just how good was Adam West as Batman and who is the best Batman of all time, 704. Let's give proper context that Fiddy was dissing. Yes. Adam West saying that that Batman was not fire. And I told him he was the OG and from which all Batman <laughs> movies and shows came thereafter because of the great Adam West. He dissed the sound effects. He dissed the villains. Come on, y'all. Burgess Manor as the, uh, I think he was the, he was the penguin. And then the Joker and, and Eartha Kitt, God rest her soul, as Catwoman. Don't get me started. Let's, that is. Let's that, get off the bus. Well, that Whatever is, we going to do. <laughs> That's a that's a fantastic rundown, and then you got disgusted with all of oh, it at the end. Yeah, those that, classic villains. That's fine. Let, let's get off of the bus talking about the Charlotte Hornets' victory against the Atlanta Hawks. Fitty, bus driver, Lil Country, open up the doors. <laughs> we look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! So a superhero last night was LaMelo Ball, nice. the way he performed. What he did was possibly something that you could consider the best performance of his career. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's number one. But LaMelo scoring 30 points, also dishing out 15 assists on 12 of 19 shooting, 6 of 10 from three-point range, by the way. Only six rebounds. I say only because he had been flirting with a triple-double the last couple of times out, and you're a little bit shy of that with six rebounds. But here's another thing to note, especially for one LaMelo ball. I like that goose egg in the personal foul column of the box score. Did not pick up one personal foul in this game, and we know just how huge of a problem that's been for LaMelo. Not much defense in this game. And not much is in zero defense in this game with the Hornets winning 144 to 138 in regulation. But Wes, you want a reason to watch this basketball team? Yes. It all starts with the franchise that is LaMelo Ball. Yeah, and when you talk about the franchise, that's a great word to start this on because LaMelo was the first Hornet in the history of the franchise to have a 30-point, 15-assist game, fourth youngest NBA player to ever achieve this behind Luka, De'Aaron Fox, and Trey Young. So it was a tremendous game from him. The only one... I might just put this as his greatest performance because not only the record that it set, I think about the Milwaukee game, though, when he hit the big shot. I believe it was to send it to overtime last season. I think it was to win. The, the floater to the left? No, I think about when he hit the three to go to overtime. So, yeah, that might have been right. But there's he's but they been ended awesome up losing that game, if I'm not mistaken. He's been awesome against yeah. Milwaukee. And so that's the only reason I've downgraded that one, maybe to second, because they lost the game eventually. 
But this game last night, like I said, 12 of 19 shooting. He had six threes. Uh, you know, his 47th straight game with at least one three. Six boards, like I said, and nobody in the history of this franchise because the Hornets have been around long enough since 89 for a record like that to be special. The first one to do that. So, yeah, I'm going to give last night as his signature performance thus far in his young career. Well, I, I think it absolutely is the best performance that he's had this year. So he had 38 points against Boston just last season on 50% shooting, 40 from three-point range, and also went to the line 13 times. So if you're just looking for a prolific scoring night, his career high is 38 against Boston. That 36-point performance we're talking about, it did come in an L against Milwaukee, but that's one. And he destroys Indiana. I mean, if you're just looking at 30-point performances and where he's racked them up, you're talking about three games where LaMelo Ball has scored at least 29 or more. And so he destroys the Pacers. But for all intents and purposes, you are talking about LaMelo having one of the best performances last night. He was absolutely excellent. And I'll tell you this. You know what, Wes? Mark Williams did not have a fantastic performance last night. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about just individual matchups and who won those individual matchups, Clint Capella beat Mark Williams. Clint Capella, especially early on, more physical. Mark Williams at 7-1 can't continue to only come up with five rebounds total. Right. Yet that's just not what you... And that's not what you can afford as a team when you go big and then your 7-1 guy is only grabbing five boards. But I do like that he is getting better in pick-and-roll defense. You're seeing a lot of opportunities for him out there on the perimeter where I do think he handles himself pretty well. Now, they're still attacking him in the pick-and-roll, but that's fine. The dude has been in the rotation just for a couple of months now, if even, and he's still a young basketball player. But when they're attacking him in the pick and roll, Clint Capella just diving hard. Mark not necessarily knowing where to be in some of those spaces at this time. It's really hard to transition defensively to the NBA. But then you see the play that we had at the end of the game last yes. night. Yes. Where Mark Williams is out there against Trey Young. Yes. Whose eyes had to be glowing because you have quote-unquote goofy, long-legged, long-armed Mark Williams out there. So he tries to shoot a three, but it gets blocked. He releases LaMelo Ball, another fantastic play where he taps that ball out to Mark. And then he dribbles a couple times, like a little half slow Euro step, but it doesn't matter, finishes it. One of the best plays that we've had as far as the entire season goes, and it helps secure a win against a rival in the Atlanta Hawks. That's the kind of stuff you love to see from Mark. Outside of the Kai Jones dunk that I thought was just out of this world, I thought that last night by him was the play of the uh so far. Just him guarding Trey Young, getting the block, giving the half euro, and then he did a light dunk. I wanted him to finish it with some authority. I wanted him to slam that thing out, slam it down, and give that 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 yell, just that like I don't even know, like in the jungle, just hunting. Mm-hmm. Ah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I want him to give one of those, except with more volume, maybe. way more volume. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah, I thought that was tremendous. And I mean, Clint Capella out rebounded him by two, but the thing you liked about it was it looked bleak for a minute because the Hawks cut that lead, and I started to think with the momentum that was lost, I was like, oh boy. I said they're gonna lose this game. But they made the plays down the stretch. And I think for a young basketball team, that's certainly something to grow on. Well, and it took a while for Trey Young to hit his first three-pointer. He would end up making two in this game. And you're right. They did cut that lead down. There was no defense played. I mean, in the fourth quarter, you had Atlanta score 42 points in the second. Atlanta scored 41. But good news for Charlotte. I mean, look, look at how prolific their offensive night was. 
36 in the first, 38 in the second, 35 in the third, 35 in the fourth. West, each half, this Hornets basketball team scored 70. <laughs> like, there's just zero defense yeah, man. in this contest that it you saw like last night. Star game. Well, and everybody was playing pretty well, too. I mean, just to shed some light on some of the other top performers, Gordon Hayward was very good. 9 of 12 from the field. Hit a big-time three to help secure that victory as well. How about eight assists? 36 assists total for this team. And, it be, and it's because they shot 54% from three, 63% overall from the field. P.J. Washington, he's been playing very well the last few games. He's on the ascent in the roller coaster that can be his offensive game. And right now, he's certainly climbing up. Seven rebounds, five assists for P.J., 22 points there. And Terry Rozier, 29 points. I mean, everybody ate in this one. Hell, Dennis Smith Jr. came off the bench and actually did a pretty good job offensively, not only defensively. So they're starting to play pretty well here. Now, it's a seven-game losing streak that this win comes after. I still am not worried about them winning too many games. What say you after this one? Yeah, Just no. One I mean, eight. you know, it was a division matchup. These guys don't like each other. They have a nice rivalry as far as LaMelo and Trey Young and DeJounte Murray now has been added to the mix. I think there's a lot of fire and motivation, especially with the Hawks uh, eliminating the Hornets in each of the last two seasons. So I don't glean much from it as far as a overarching standpoint, mm-hmm. as far as the Hornets are getting ready to go on some type of run. It was just a one-off. Now, if we say Mark Williams, it's not like he had the greatest performance ever and he lost to Clint Capella, if you're talking about individual matchups. Mm-hmm. Still a pretty decent offensively too like five of seven from the field right we, we got 15 points from him so if you're talking about mark williams starting becoming a, a more permanent part of the rotation does what he's shown lately does that show that mason Plumley being traded was the right move for this team yeah i think so man i mean when they drafted this guy this is you drafted him with intentions of him being your franchise center going forward so he needs to start uh, on that job description as quickly as possible so yes I think the way that he's played he's showing you promise that's the thing you want everything might not be beautiful every single game but you want to see flashes and last night like I said especially with that big play down the stretch that was a big flash so uh, you're seeing what you want to see from him as he continue to grow he has many, many more opportunities to go out there and learn each and every game. And so that's all you can hope for. Word to 5 for 12 writing in. He said, you shoot 70%. There's not a lot of rebounds for Big Mark to get. And there is some truth to that because yeah. of how well both of these teams shot for sure. There have been games where he has single-digit rebound totals, needs to get that up. But you're right, 5 for 12 writing that in. Shooting 70% absolutely is going to help them. And so as we look at the Charlotte Hornets the rest of the way, we talk about this possibly being the best game ever for LaMelo. Trading Mason Plumley does seem like the right move. So Bryce McGowan's is somebody else that I did want to discuss because we have Steve Clifford talking before the game about how Bryce has been playing ever since they made a couple of trades. And I was interested in just who was going to get the Jalen McDaniels minutes because it's not like they have another wing they can go to, right? Mm-hmm. It's Gordon Hayward who's going to start. Mm-hmm. But then McGowan's, Book Knight, backcourt players, Kai Jones, Front court player. Same thing with Nick Richards. Kelly Oubre, but he's not healthy, so he's not going to get those minutes. Turns out it was Bryce McGowan's. That makes the most sense to me. Steve Clifford talked about McGowan's being.
being ahead of James Booknight on the depth chart. Booknight still playing with Greensboro. Just kind of how the schedule's worked out. What do you make of Bryce not only passing James Booknight, but I think showing some nice things as well as far as just what a second-round pick might entail in his first year? Yeah, I think that he looks to be a good rotational piece for them. We'll see where his potential leads him to as far as if he ever becomes a starter-level player. But from what I've seen from him, I've seen enough to know that uh, if he continues to develop, continues to work, he can be a guy that could be an integral piece of the Hornets rotation uh, going forward. And I think with where you drafted him, yeah. I don't think that's a bad consolation at all. Well, 100%. When you're talking second-round wins, Jalen McDaniels netting you at least another second-round pick, I wanted him to be here long-term if that was the most you could get on the trade market. You're talking about Devontae Graham trading him for a protected first-round pick and that bearing out for you. Cody Martin gets signed to a second contract. Mitch Kupchak has shown that there is a nice track record of selecting talented players with your second-round selection. Bryce McGowan could be the latest example of that, so we'll see as the season goes on. Let's switch gears. Let's talk about the other professional franchise here in the city of Charlotte. The Carolina Panthers made another awesome addition. They hired another awesome coach to that staff that already is being so celebrated. We tell you who it is and why it's so important. Coming up next on Wesson Walker, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Happy Valentine's Day from Wesson Walker. It's exactly what I was excited for. It's really just the radio part because we're about to curate a playlist that covers everybody's Valentine's needs. We got Al Green going on right now, but we're going to mix it up. Different eras. Okay. Got a little bit of a different genre here and there for you. I have eight songs. I believe we play nine. So the other one is up for grabs, whether we wanted to give that to Wes, you, Fiddy, the fans. I don't know what other idea could be out there. I tried to hit all different marks, but how do we attack the ninth song that could be played here today? Did you have any ideas, Wes, that you wanted to make sure this Valentine song was included? Oh, man. Or do we give this to the fans, or is this your show? And Let's so give it to gonna, the fans. You want to do that? Okay. Yeah. Now, I know there's going to be some songs that people are going to be writing in that is an immediate no. But whatever <laughs> song that you want to write, and no R. Kelly, R. Kelly gets no play. That is that yeah, is don't be in no R. Kelly. That is a part of the category. That is an immediately no. No, that is <laughs> that for sure was taken care of there. So feel free to text us via the Garage Door Guru text line. Oh. The number to text is 704-570-9610. What kind of Valentine's Day theme song do you want us to play today? And then we can play it at the end of the show. Fiddy, if I were to just go straight to the top of the dome for you, what Valentine's Day song would you want to play first and foremost? And do I, by chance, have it in the playlist? I'm going to guess I don't. Yeah, uh, first off, I don't really know what first comes to mind. Maybe Beautiful Crazy by Luke Combs? Beautiful Crazy, don't know if I, I uh, know that one. That one, is, there's got to be some kind of classic too, right? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. Nothing like that, huh? Not a, lot of whole, not a whole lot of Valentine's music in your life right now? 
Radio Lover by George Jones, but I mean, he gets cheated on in the song, so I don't know if that's a good Valentine's Day <laughs> yeah, song. It's not, it's not great, but that's okay. You but know? I mean, just I mean, perception. I mean, that song is my testimony, so you know. Oh, no. All right. Well, I'm sorry. Hey, we got some good news during the break, though. Maybe we can share that a little bit later on in the show. I did want to get to some Batman text as well because we led off with the fight that was happening where I want to provide the right context to this, but Wes, you and Fiddy were arguing because apparently Fiddy said, or at least Fiddy was not giving enough love to Adam oh, West. Oh, no, not enough love. He was straight dissing okay, okay. the old one, saying so, that was trash. Okay, so we, we just basically put an all-encompassing Batman question out there. Big Cat Dan wrote in, Adam West is OG, Michael Keaton, best modern Batman. Doesn't that go to Christian Bale, though? Best modern Batman? Yeah, I agree. Dark Knight trilogy is classical mm. classic. And I love sure. Michael Keaton overall, but yeah, Michael Keaton Bale. was the man, but I got to go with Christian. Tar Heel Sean wrote in best Batman. Oh, Adam West for TV. And then he's got Christian Bale for the movie. So I think strong take Adam West for TV, Batman, Christian Bale for the movies. Those are the best versions. I no? agree. Okay. You got into deep thought about that, but I this agree. is important I stuff. I think about that. Uh, Brian wrote in the best Batman is Kevin Conroy. You can't change my mind. Fitty tried by saying Christian Bale, three question marks, but he's sticking with Kevin Conroy. I mean, he did the animated series, and the animated series was fantastic. It's, it's, it's weird to me to say a guy who didn't actually don the suit mm -hmm. was a great Batman, but I guess he was, in theory, because he was the voice, um, and he had a fantastic voice. But I love the guy off the Arkham Asylum games. I am kind of a geek like that where I will watch mm -hmm. people play video games on YouTube, and I have watched. Pretty much all of, uh, I forgot which Arkham Asylum it was. But uh, okay. Um, it took a while, but I got through it. All right. I, and I, I know I'm just bouncing all over the place here, but there are a lot of people writing in what song they want to hear. And uh, I've got a couple already on the list, so I've got you taken yeah, care of. Let us know some of your gifts. Have you got your shopping done? That's are you right. out scrambling right now trying to get things? I got mine done yesterday morning. So I... um. I don't want to tell on myself. I want to yeah, lead the fifth a little But But I do have a, a really good idea going on tonight. And it has to be a little bit of a, a um, audible called last minute for me. But mm -hmm. I, I do think it's going to be a great idea that that audible led to anyway. So some people are writing in Casey and JoJo. I got you covered. Boys to Men, any song. I got you covered. Jodeci. I did not put any Jodeci in there. Um, Jackie Moon, Love Me Sexy. That's what Michael wrote in. Um yeah, I mean, R. Kelly has made an appearance, and I'm telling you, no, we are not playing any R. Kelly whatsoever. Luther Vandross here and now, I have a different okay. I have a different Luther Vandross song in there. All right. So I got something different. We're going to take care of people. Um, Sam Cooke, Bud Lightyear writing in, old school, Cupid, putting from Sam. Don't have any Sam Cooke. Oh, Cupid 112? Um, just says Cupid here. I don't know. Yeah, that's 112. There we go. Yeah, so I don't have any song. Sam Cooke in there, but I do want to pay respect to the OGs. Yeah. So maybe we can put that in there a little bit later on. Like my grandfather's song, Cheaper the Keeper. Let's do, if, if you're related to someone that has a song out there, that might win over any of the tech suggestions. Yeah, for those who don't know, my grandfather is Johnny Taylor, the famous R&B singer, first platinum single ever in music history. Now, I never met the man, did not know him like that, but... He was my mom's father, and he does have a song that became a phrase for many men to stay with their women. Cheaper to keep her. <laughs> <We> <laughs> which, 
<laughs> we need to play this regardless. We need to absolutely yeah, man. bring this I mean, to the cheaper forefront. to keeper. That means, you know, it, it, it can cost you, you know, divorce, child support, all that. So you're like, hey, man, I'm just going to stay with what I got and keep keep the overhead down. Uh, now, 919 wrote in Keith Sweat. See, I wanted to put nobody in here, but the instrumental doesn't sound good. And Make it last forever. Oh, That's the one. Well, I, I'm a nobody fan, and so I wanted to put that in there. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I mean, it's not like the lyrics are bad or anything yeah it's just yeah. it just didn't i just didn't go with it yeah. and then all you people that think you're funny writing in two live crew no <laughs> we're not putting two live crew in here and that's exactly what i thought of literally they hit the two bingo cards that i thought yeah. two live crew and r kelly no we're we can get ratchet and um i heard the song the other day in my son's barbershop it was a song it was popping like in the 90s the song that uh he's mine you might have had him once but i got him all the time like we can get ratchet and, <laughs> and play that one we can... he's mine you might have had him once but i got him all the time that was a jam back in the day though i'd like that's you a to, ratchet jam i'd that's... like you to sing it instead i think you would do a fantastic <laughs> yeah, that's, job that's ratchet there's some situations like that today as well too <laughs> there you are. know i'm here we watch the maury and the steve and all that so i'm here for the ratchet all right let's uh, maybe we can do some of that a little bit later on. Just the two of us. All right, I need to stop reading the text line. You guys are doing great reading uh, or giving us some suggestions, but I need to move on. And speaking of OGs, how about Jim Caldwell? After he yes. was a part of the head coach interview process, we didn't think that he was going to be a part of the staff after that, but mm -hmm. now he is. Jim Caldwell has been named a senior offensive assistant mm -hmm. as the Carolina Panthers made him the newest addition to the coaching staff just yesterday. Now, he is going to report directly to Frank Reich, and he will help the team on offense, even defense and special teams. So it's not even just senior offensive assistant. He is just a part of the coaching staff helping in a lot of different areas. The 68-year-old Caldwell, this is a write-up uh, from Darren Gant, by, uh, by the way, on Panthers.com. The 68-year-old Caldwell was one of nine coaches to interview for the Panthers head coaching opening and uh, the second from that group to join Reich's staff along with Jero Avero. I like it. Hell, bring them all aboard. You can't have enough smart minds. I mean, the only problem that would come from this is if Jim Caldwell had some kind of ego and wanted to take over, but he knows what yeah, it is at 68 years that. old. He's not gonna that, that's that. not going to happen. Let me tell you, they, they have some... Uh, as a baby from Cash Money would say, they have some game spitters over there. A hundred percent. They have some game spitters because to get all like the of these guys, I could have given you a hundred percent. Because to have all those guys over there that were head coaching candidates, guys that you bought in to for the head coaching job, didn't give it to them, but still able to bring them back. You got some game spitters over there. Um, do you want me to say something else that sounds really white? Yeah. How about that Skrilla, though? Yeah. That David Tepper Skrilla. Straight cash, homie. Well, look, this, and, and I had a, a group chat where a couple of buddies were writing in, hey, what do we think about Jim Caldwell also being a part of the coaching staff? Just how much do you think about what they've done so far this offseason? Yeah, it's great. It's a great coaching staff. I don't know how you look at this on paper and think anything other than, holy hell, this is fantastic. And the thing about Jim Caldwell coming aboard is it shows you, along with the Jero Avero, right? David Tepper is willing to spend the money. And we have been critical of David Tepper. I know I have. I'm sure if he's listened to me like you read Scott Fowler, he's probably not the biggest fan. But this is always something I'm willing to act like you know. This is something I've always been willing to give him a ton of credit for. Owners that are cheap can often be the worst type of owner in all of sports. Right. And that's not David Tepper, right? Like, he made a bad decision with Matt Rule. But he was a hot commodity. He did have to win that bidding war against the New York Giants, and he did. 
And so now here he is. Even if you have Frank Reich as the head coach, Minnesota is the favorite to land Ajero Avero. Nope, Carolina, throwing the money at him. Ajero comes here to Carolina with some tools to work with, like Brian Burns, Derek Brown, J.C. Horn, yada, yada. And now you're going after Jim Caldwell, giving him some money, who is a respected offensive mind in the league. This is the part of David Tepper that you like about him being the owner for your Panther squad. And it does not mean that he is great in all facets of the ownership game. But when it comes to being cheap, he is the exact opposite of that. And he is willing to spend that money to land his guys. Yeah. And so, as you said, the the owners, you he could feel that this is the offseason of offseasons for them. We've been talking about this uh, since the middle of the season, how paramount this offseason. Anytime you're hiring a new coach, getting a new quarterback, uh, that's going to always be of the utmost importance. But just the fact that you had to get both of those this offseason, it was just such a a big offseason. You had to make the right hires. And coming off of who you did not choose to hire, that kind of put the magnifying glass on it even more. And I think, you know, they're they're kind of washing over some of the bad feelings that a lot of people had about the direction of this franchise with a lot of these hires. Joe Person of The Athletic, he joined the Kyle Bailey show on Monday, and he did discuss how David Tepper having money is going to have a huge impact when it comes to hiring some of these hot names. They wanted to put together a top 10 staff, and he he said, look, not every position, not every position coach might rise to that level, but overall, uh, we want to put together a top 10 staff, and they're on their way. And the other thing he said in the past is about, and I I think when Matt Rule was putting his staff together, Tepper would talk about how there's no uh, salary cap for, for coaches' salaries. Um, and I mean, that's big when, when you're the NFL second richest owner. And I think, um, in a lot of ways he's uh, outspending the field. Beef Supreme wrote in and distracted me. Everything Walker says sounds super white. I can't help it. I am who I am. But also, Joe Person writing or talking about that, it's exactly what we've been kind of discussing as some of these coaching hires come in. And so it has been a huge help to this Carolina Panthers team as they look to clean the slate, as they look to refresh how you might feel about some of the decision makers within this organization. They've got a lot of really good ones here, retaining Campin, making sure you have Chris Tabor. And now this is the interesting part to me too. Too, Wes. Part of the critical um, or the criticism, I should say, that I've had for David Tepper is we don't want him to be too meddlesome. Mm-hmm. And there have been reports about some of that when it comes to personnel decisions. We know that he had his hand in the Sean Watson situation. And while you expect the owner to know when you're going after a hot name quarterback like that, we also had criticism given the sexual misconduct assault allegations that were hurled his way this offseason, too. But he's been a part of some of these decisions here. We like it. And so we're okay with it. Right. Like a part of trying to figure out what your coaching staff is going to be. I'm sure David Tepper and Scott Fitterer wanted to retain Chris Tabor. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they wanted to retain James Campen. Now, that's not to say Frank Reich was going to move on from him. But even if he did, I don't know if they were going to anyway. (laughs) I feel like Carolina here, David Tepper, Scott Fitterer, they would have been like, hey, that's I know that's your guy. We kind of like what we got rolling with these two position coaches and also Ajero Avero coming in. Hot name. I don't know who you want, Gus Bradley. I know he's been reported. That's cool. He's under contract, and quite frankly, we don't like him as much. So I don't know. 
what the negotiations were, what the talk was inside closed doors. All I know is that if David Tepper had his hand, which clearly did, had his hand in some of these decisions that have been made, he's written the check in order to get a lot of it done. And we like a lot of the decisions that have been made. Yeah, this has just been a great hire after great hire. And as you said, you can never have too much knowledge and experience. And I mean, this coaching staff is long on seasoning, but it's also long on uh, you know, potential great candidates still looking to finish it up with that offensive coordinator piece. And I think that's the last one that's yeah. going to be the cherry on top. But when you talk about uh, having a guy like Evero, like we said, that a lot of people wanted with, with what he did and then capers. And I mean, I've never seen a staff like this with former head coaches that have done what some of these guys have done all across the all board on one staff. I, I mean, it is super experienced in there. Um, and, and the thing is, you have to think that for them to bring these guys in, no egos, selfless guys who want to win and just want to add their expertise to what's going on to try to make the franchise better. Yeah, trying to read a lot of these texts coming in, a lot of really good ones. 980 number wrote in, we've gone from having zero NFL experience on the staff to now bordering on too many cooks in the kitchen. I don't have any problem with that second part. No, like I, I don't think you have that at play here. There, no. Jim Caldwell's not going to try to take control. Ajero Avero, he's he's got his thing. He's got his defense. He's good. Like he is the head chef on, on that part, right? Like so, I, I'm cool with all of that. You bring in Dom Capers. Dom Capers and Avero have already worked together. Like they're cool. So I have no problems with with those guys working alongside one another. But it, the the first part I thought was key. From no experience in the NFL, except for like what Phil Snow working a tiny bit, Matt Rule having one year as an offensive line coach. To goodness gracious. Dom Capers, Jim Caldwell at 68, and and all of these other guys that have been a part of the staff. It, it's been it's been phenomenal. You're right though. The offensive coordinator position that's going to be interesting. Shane Steichen, officially named the Indianapolis Colts head coach, he was the offensive coordinator for Philadelphia in the Super Bowl appearance that they just had. We thought about Shane Steichen being the head coach here in Carolina, but he's going to be the head uh, coach for the Colts. When Shane Steichen went to the Colts and that wasn't a possibility anymore, then we started to think about the QB coach, Brian Johnson, Mm -hmm. possibly being on staff here for Carolina. Which could still happen. Still could happen. But you have to wonder if Philadelphia is going to let him leave the organization as well. Joe Person talked about that also on the Kyle Bailey show yesterday. I'm getting more and more buzz when you talk to people. Like To get a guy like Brian Johnson... You, you really almost have to offer him play calling because otherwise it's like, you know, so what, I mean, yeah, I've got a coordinator title, but I mean, in that you're, you're sort of in the Eric B enemy situation, like, okay, you got the title, but you don't have any juice. You're not calling plays. Do I think Frank is leaning toward calling plays? Probably, but I really do think he was being honest when he said it depends on who they hire because I mean, Thomas Brown uh, running back background, I don't know that you'd, you'd give him play calling responsibilities. But a guy, as I said, a guy like Brian Johnson, if he's got other options, I think you almost have to offer him if he's the guy you really want. Nothing is set in stone. And as we move to the first fifty flash here in just a moment, I'll, I'll ask you this. Frank Reich has talked about calling plays. He said it's it's probably headed that direction, but nothing is set in stone. And so maybe Brian Johnson would mean that much of a difference. Wes, I'll ask you, if it was Brian Johnson and play calling duties or the field and Frank and Frank Reich calling plays, which direction would you want to go with? What, which one of those situations would you like to be a part of, uh, of Carolina? Field and Frank Reich. Field and Frank Reich. Yeah. I think, um, 
you know, when you look at a lot of situations, whether you talk about the team that just won the Super Bowl uh, with Andy Reid and, and Eric Bieniemy and those guys collaborating, uh, you know, this guy from the Eagles, quarterbacks coach, not sure of his offensive prowess. He's yet to do it. So I don't know what he's going to bring to the table, but I know what I'm getting in Frank Reich. And if they bring in another talented uh, coordinator to go along with him, I know that at least uh, some of the areas that he may not be as strong in, Coach Wright can build him up. 704-570-9610. Feel free to text us your thoughts on a potential Brian Johnson hire at offensive coordinator, or would you rather just have Frank Reich call the plays? We could talk about that a little bit later on as well. Coming up, though, we'll visit the campus corner and discuss North Carolina's fall to Miami last night. That all comes after the first Fitty Flash of the day. Flash is Fitty. All right, guys, we'll keep the coordinator talk moving as former Georgia offensive coordinator Todd Monken is leaving Athens for the same position with the Baltimore Ravens of the NFL. That's a quality hire by John Harbaugh. But let's keep it on the college side of things. How sought after will that Georgia vacancy be? And who off the top of your head? Do you think best fits with that championship-winning program? Well, I have zero clue what yeah. OC would, would would make yeah. sense. I don't know what other names that you would go out there. It's just I I love Todd Munkin though. Like that is somebody that's had success in the NFL and has had a whole bunch of different stops. And I wonder if Georgia is becoming somewhat like Alabama, where that's almost your college rehabilitation hire to get back into the NFL, right? Like we've seen this with the Crimson Tide. And so is Georgia entering that kind of platform? They got two straight championships. You're dealing with a coach in Kirby Smart who is clearly separating himself among the best as well with a Dabo, with a Nick Saban who is still above everybody else, but you get the idea. I wonder if that is kind of the situation happening in Athens right now. And uh, Todd Munkin was just able to do it. So do you get another NFL name like that? It would make a lot of sense. You could potentially, like I said, I mean, you see some of the candidates that they throw out there, but I'm just not well versed enough as far as being able to look. I mean, people talking about Cliff Kingsbury could or different people like that. I'm sure Georgia's going to hire uh, a bright offensive mind to come in there. And that's all I got for you. Do you want Kingsbury <laughs> to go to Georgia? I don't know. Because a lot of people are saying they're going to hire from within. Yeah. It would- I just don't know about Kingsbury going back. In college, it worked for sure. And he doesn't fit to me the Georgia mentality. I think Todd Munkin was a lot more balanced, and we saw some pretty nice aerial attack with Stetson Bennett being able to do some more stuff this year. And so I think you could see his fingerprints all over that offense. A lot of fun. I don't know if it would be too much of a difference with Kingsbury there. Do you want to go that far away from what you were doing last year? And maybe Kingsbury wouldn't, but we'll see who is going to be. Kirby doesn't strike me as a guy that wants to get out there and throw it all over the yard. No, 100%. All right, let's go to the campus corner. Coming up next, it's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. What an intro to the campus. Kona, little Beyonce 
crazy in love, huh? Why are you crazy in love, cats out there? <laughs> this sounds this sounds like a music show right now. You know what I'm you, saying? A lot of you crazy in love cats out there. <laughs> Dial in. We'll give you some advice. 704-570-9610. Well, listen, uh, I know a lot of UNC fans might not be in love right now with uh, what they saw last night. It's true. Cue the music. Let's get this thing going. UNC falls at home to the Miami Hurricanes after the team meetings. After RJ and Caleb tell you, no, nah, it's all good. It's just fake news out here in these streets. After we thought the blowout of Clemson signified the Tar Heels waking up to their great tradition and luster. And then what do you get last night, folks? A performance that, let's just call it what it was. It was pathetic last night. Let's talk about it. Okay? Let's do it. Two bench points. Two fast break points, 16% from three-point land, 37% field goal shooting in the second half. You take the L to Miami, 80-72. to Got to start with the requisite Tar Heel fan here on the set. But before we do, let's get to Hubert and what he said after the game last night. We were able to get to the basket. You know, we tried to get the ball to Armando a little bit more in the first half, but you know, felt good because we were still attacking the basket and getting points in the paint. Um, in the second half, uh, we tried to do that, and they just did a better job of closing down that paint. Uh, the only way that you could open that up is to make some perimeter jump shots. And get the basketball. We just weren't able to do it. And, you know, we've, we had a number of good looks out there. And you know, on Saturday, we were able to make some of those. And you know, tonight, we weren't able to do it. Well, no, no. Before we get to more of that, before we let Fiddy go off, mm-hmm. let's hear what Armando Baycott had to say, though, as well. Let's, let's get to Mondo. Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly just blank right now, not really processing anything. Mm. I don't really know how I feel right now. You said the other day, it's just one game. So what do you walk away from here? Just one game as well, or is it more than Nah, I mean, I don't really know. I don't know. I don't know. We got to figure something out because we got a tough stretch coming up, and it doesn't get easier, so we got to figure it out. Woo! All right, let's go, Fetty, man. What, what were your thoughts last night? What do you feel about the sound that we just heard? Is Carolina's season done? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think... This team's going to make the NCAA tournament, and, and if that happens, you're talking about the biggest bust of a team maybe in the history of the modern version of college basketball. And we, we knew this was possible going into last night because we knew Saturday was Saturday, and Mon- and this was a different game. Miami, I told you, is a better team than Clemson. I think Miami's the best team in the ACC for what that's worth, but Carolina's 16-10. and 10. They're 8-7 and seven in the league. They started preseason number one. And, Walker, we were at ACC Media Day. They were the overwhelming favorite to win the conference. Yeah. And as upside down as this league is with Clemson being good, Pitt being good, State being good, you would think that would favor Carolina. And, and, and it hasn't. And I think at this point, I'm just numb to it. Seems like Armando is too. Yeah. That's what I heard in that sound bite. Look, man, Armando sounded like a guy that has been your cheerleader all season long. Armando was the one that you could go to as your leader, and he would say, I'm going to speak to the team. We're going to figure it out. 
if you want to quit, you can walk out those doors right now, but I'm going to still stay here and fight. What did Armando sound like last night? That sounds like a guy that doesn't know what's going on. He sounded defeated. It sounds like Mm -hmm. a guy that isn't sure how to fix all of this, where he borderline told you that, and that's the biggest worry that you have. I, I still find it, call me crazy, I still find it a tiny bit premature to say that the season's over. But that is going to happen if they lose to NC State. If they lose to NC State, then I have nothing to stand on anymore. This is what North Carolina's schedule is going to be the rest of the way. NC State this weekend on the road, then you're on the road against Notre Dame, clearly have to win that. But then you have two more games at home against Virginia, top 10 team, and at home against Duke. I think this schedule does line up pretty favorably for a team that needs some good wins, right? NC State, when you're talking about them, you get a victory on the road. You sweep the Wolfpack, which is a top 25 ranked team. That's huge for North Carolina. And then you get the next two teams, Virginia and Duke, at home. I do think that it shapes up pretty well for them in a team in dire need of some of these big-time victories, some favorable spots for them. But, man, it does does not sound good at all when you hear Armando talk. Well, the thing about the Tar Heels is just that it doesn't seem like offensively they have a go-to guy, a dominant basketball player that can help bail them out of some of these tough situations. Last night, they tried. They kept trying to come back on Miami. They would hit a shot here and there to try to cut the lead to eight or to six or something like that. But Miami had an answer because Miami has guys, whether you're talking about Jordan Miller or whether you're talking about Norchad O'Meara or whether you're talking about Isaiah Wong, who didn't play a spectacular game last night, but Miami still has guys that they can go to when they need a bucket. This Carolina team, R.J. Davis, one game he looks great. Next game he doesn't. And and Caleb Love, you already know how streaky of a shooter he is. You can't depend on him on a night-in, night-out basis. And then even Armando down low. Armando has a decent game, but he's just not a guy that you can continually dump the ball into and he's going to get 30. I'll tell you this, though. We don't really know that because they're not doing it. And but I'm just saying even when me. you watch him, like he he he's got an okay game, but he's he doesn't have moves on top of moves where he's just down there just cooking that, people. That that's fine. That's I, all I, I'm saying. I agree with you to some extent, but he's strong enough to where he should be able to do more than what he is, and that's not necessarily his fault. Six field goals last night against Miami. Right. And, and I know we got in foul trouble. I get that. I know we had five in this game. Love I, and Davis combined to shoot 19 threes. Yeah. 33 minutes for Armando. And I'm, and I'm sorry. And I know we've had these talks on the fish ball and cut you off, but this freshman class, I don't see a guy in there that's just a guy. I, I just don't see it. I think this freshman class, they're just – they're, they're freshman, okay. They're freshman basketball players but, at Carolina. They, the, we operate different. I understand that, Fitty, but these are still guys that were highly touted, that would start at a lot of schools as far as in theory. They would be brought into schools to start. Not really. Yes, they would. No. These guys, they got four and five stars on their on their bench with these guys. These were high four-star, five-star type of guys. Jalen Washington's coming off a major knee injury. Okay, I get Seth that. Seth Trimble just exploded right as the time he committed to Carolina. We, we, the thing is... Is we see this with North Carolina too often. This is how they've won. This has been their formula for quite some time, and now it's not looking great right now. That's granted, and if you want to say there's been a change, I get it, but we have seen North Carolina go with this type of formula where they bring in guys that develop and become an awesome player as their college career goes on, and they don't come in right from the rip and establish some kind of dominance. But Armando Baycott has become a preseason player of the year candidate where even this year in a disappointing season, Armando still has been very, very good. I will say this, with Armando, a lot of it is 
just a lack of post-entry passes. You need to run your offense through a guy that had that POI expectation. But Armando does need to stop fouling. We're talking Armando. one month's time now. You're talking about all the way back in January 14th in that game against Louisville. He's gotten to at least three fouls in every single game since and four in all but a couple of them. You've only have you only have three games where you have three fouls. He's fouled out a couple of times in those last matchups. So he's fouling a lot. They're attacking him, and I get that. But, man, I do want to see more field goal attempts than six, especially in as big of a game that you had against the Hurricanes. All right, so are there any questions about Hubert Davis's job security if they miss the tournament? I think there are absolutely questions, and then eventually I think the answer is going to be nobody's – they're not going to fire Hubert. Getting to a Final Four in your first year, that buys you at least one season. They're not going to fire you after getting to a championship game and coming very close to actually winning the title. I do think that buys you enough of a cushion. Now, it doesn't mean that he is he is uh, a made man down the road necessarily. It doesn't mean that you can't look at this again if they struggle again next season. But there's no way I think they fire him this offseason. No, I don't think they do either. Uh, I think that the Final Four run bought him at least a year and a half. But I think that if they miss it this year and then they come into next season and it's still wash, rinse, repeat, then, yeah, I think people are going to start to, uh, like I said, I think personally that if we're cooking, like I said, you're getting up, turning the oven on to get that thing preheated to, to put that uh, put that food in there. So when we come back, though, we're going to talk about the Colts hiring Shane Steichen. Do we like the hire there? What does it mean in the grand scheme of things? This is the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.